success stories, you know, that are absolutely connected to me partnering with a supplier. You know, and the greatest example that I can share with you is is an example where while I was working for Unilever a long time ago by moving to concentrated liquid, and we were able to pull that off because of this partnership that we created with one of our key packaging suppliers, we were able to raise the margin of laundry detergent by about a thousand basis points. And it enabled Unilever to sell that business. And it was directly through partnering with with key suppliers that that was able to happen. Hey, this is Danny and welcome to the Spend Culture Stories podcast. You know, we're not just another boring finance or procurement podcast. We explore the sometimes challenging stories and learnings when people, spend and organizations meet and how to drive sustainable growth while still balancing control and agility. We have vulnerable, honest, and raw conversations with only the most forward-thinking CFOs, finance executives, and procurement leaders who are challenging the status quo, that the way we've done it is just not enough. This is Spend Culture Stories. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Spend Culture Stories. This is Danny, and today we have Anna McGovern, the Chief Supply Chain Officer at the Food Bank for New York City. Anna is also super involved in the procurement world, where she's a chapter leader at the Procurement Foundry, which I'm sure a lot of the listeners are familiar with. And um, I met Anna actually on Clubhouse, so we were part of one of the procurement clubs there. And I just thought that she had so many amazing things to say, and she has a very innovative approach to procurement. Which brings us to the topic of the day today, which is how procurement can be an innovation center. Anna, I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you, Danny. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Yeah, of course. You know, I know I don't really do guest bios justice, so maybe you can kind of give the audience a quick overview of yourself and your background. Sure, I would be happy to. So as you've introduced me, my my current role is Chief Supply Chain Officer for the Food Bank for New York City. It's the first time in my 30 plus year career that I've actually joined the nonprofit world, which has been, you know, incredibly rewarding. But prior to that, I've spent my entire career in corporate supply chain and procurement. I would say probably half my career has been spent in strategic procurement of one manner or another, both at the local, regional and global level. And then the other half of my career has been in the end-to-end supply chain doing planning and logistics. And and I will tell you, regardless of whether I was in procurement or not, every single one of my career successes uh, involved a key strategic partner or supplier. So really, when you think about it, my entire career has been joined at the hip with supplier partners. So I'm very proud of that. And uh, yeah, and now I'm doing similar things, you know, joining up and partnering and collaborating with suppliers in the nonprofit world. And it's been quite interesting. Yeah, that must be an interesting switch, you know, going from more corporate procurement into something like a nonprofit where I'm sure you have more limited budgets to work with and there's some restrictions, but I can imagine it's also quite rewarding. Exactly, exactly. And it is, it is very much a 
startup environment because the nonprofit world is really seeking to professionalize their supply chain and ways of working and data and analytics. So procurement is quite ripe uh, in terms of, uh, as you say, we need to watch our budgets and, and there are ways to streamline and get you know tremendous value from the procurement function. So I'm, I'm very happy to be working on that here now. I love that. And I love what you said about value, because I feel like, you know, with procurement, it's often seen as a member of the C-suite, as a department who cuts costs. But um, in recent years, I've seen, you know, a lot of procurement leaders like yourself really touch up on the value part. So what are what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, procurement is a strategic function. In fact, um, not long ago, I wrote an article for LinkedIn and it's on my personal website. It's also posted to my LinkedIn profile where I make the argument that the CPO should be reporting to the CEO. They need to be at the table because they're not cost cutting, right? They're, they're driving the value equation, right? They're driving the value chain throughout the organization. When you think about um, when we run an enterprise, um, you, you look at everything we cut a check for, whether it's a direct material as part of the cost of goods sold, or whether it's all of the indirect spending, whether it's marketing services, travel, IT, HR spends, when you think about it, uh, you know, we're controlling in the procurement function anywhere from two thirds to three quarters of the overall budget of the organization. So when they control so much and they can then partner to drive value, they've got the direct capability and ability to drive the top line, not just drive bottom line uh, profitability through cost cutting. This then makes it such an important function that it really belongs on the board level reporting to the CEO. You know, often uh, we've seen the procurement function either report to the chief supply chain officer or reports to the, the chief financial officer. Every way you look at it, it really deserves its own area reporting directly to the leader of the organization. So that's really how procurement has changed over the years. It's become quite a strategic function. And we, we've seen, you know, since COVID, the importance of procurement, you know, sitting at that, you know, head table to drive the crisis and deliver the value in the way of staying on shelf or, you know, being able to create that continuity of supply or that supply security. Yeah. And that brings up a really good next question, which was, you know, with a lot of um, stories and pivots that companies have gone through during the pandemic, um, especially since I talked to a lot of CFOs, they had to cut uh, costs, a lot of budgets. They had to really pivot when it comes to the strategy. I'm sure you have a lot of um, similar stories on the procurement end that you can share with the audience. Yeah, absolutely. We we have. Uh, it's been it's been a rough go over the last 12 months. I think, you know, where we're going in the future is still, you know, the jury is still out in terms of how things are going to shake up. But if you look, Danny, uh, you know, the last 20, 25 years have been all about low cost supply chains. It's been all about how do I, you know, offshore, how do I cut costs? How do I consolidate suppliers, increase my buying leverage so I can cut costs, cut costs, cut costs? And, and let's face it, 
you know, when you're in procurement, that's just table stakes. Being able to find ways to save money is, is part of the equation, right? But it's really about the how. It's no longer about the what. As we go in a post-COVID world, it really becomes about supply chain resiliency. How do you recover? And it's about supply security. So it is all about creating those collaborative partnerships, whether it's with suppliers on the on the back end or it's with customers on the front end. It's really about connecting customers to suppliers and creating you know, multi-party relationships that are going to deliver value and innovation. So how do we do that, right? It's all, of, again, it's all about driving innovation and driving that value chain, giving the consumer or giving the end customer a reason to believe, a reason to buy. So, you know, where I think this is going to shake out is, you know, how do you create partnerships, whether it's with, um, whether it's with suppliers on the strategic side or whether it's with indirect spend on, on how do we leverage data, how do we create partnerships around software, big data analytics, and so on that are going to help us drive the next phase of value. I, I mean, I can give you several examples in my career where it really was about how do you create innovative solutions? How do, you, how do you create that new widget? Uh, I mean, if I can take examples over the last 20 years or so that people could relate to, um, there are two major innovations that happened in the last 20 years. One of them is the Swiffer, right? Through Procter & Gamble's household cleaning category. And one of them is Curry, you know, through uh, the K-cups, the pods, the coffee pods that you drink from every day. Those were both supplier innovations that came to the market. That was, you know, partnering with a supplier to create a, a completely new category. They revolutionized, the cat, you know, the coffee category uh, and, and they revolutionized the household cleaning category by creating the Swiffer. So that is additive innovation. It's creating new uses, you know, for old standby categories, right? And now, you know, I'm sure you can't live without your Swiffer like I can't live without my Swiffer. And I'm so happy to have a, a, a coffee pod where I'm not brewing coffee and having it go stale because I didn't drink it. I'm drinking the flavor I want, you know, the in the amount that I want. So these are very old innovation ideas, but there are so many ideas that are happening on a daily basis through that collaborative approach of being able to create a new thing, a new widget, something that's going to be breakthrough, right? I've worked, you know, with suppliers, for example, like big chemical uh, companies who service multiple categories. So most of my background is, is in everyday consumer packaged goods. But for example, you look at a company like Dow, who services multiple industries. They service consumer packaged goods. They service uh, the pharmaceuticals industry. They do water filtration. They do uh, paint coatings. And then there are adjacent industry opportunities where you can go to pharma and learn what they're doing that could be now applied to your industry. And by having those very close collaborative relationships, 
you are going to discover the opportunities to create value by looking at new things and applying them to the work that you're doing. I love that. You know, I love that. I think that's kind of what makes procurement really interesting and exciting and also relatable for a lot of people. Because I feel like sometimes when we hear about procurement, you know, we don't hear about the exciting back end that happens just under our eyes, right? We kind of see, okay, well, they're going to be sourcing the products. They're going to be at part of the supply chain, but we don't get to hear these innovation stories, and which is why I think it's so important also for us, especially as women in procurement, to share these stories, make people excited for it. Exactly. It's a fantastic, fantastic career choice, right? So I, I mentor you know, young women, young professionals that are coming out of school every day. And I try to explain the value of getting into procurement because think about the skill set that you need. Not only do you need negotiation skills, which is a given, but it's really about being able to understand finance intimately, being able to do, you know, cost benefit analysis. It's being able to understand legal, regulatory and compliance. It's about coaching. It's about motivating suppliers. It's about being a sales and marketing person because you're constantly having to sell your ideas, whether it's to sell to the supplier an idea or a concept or whether to you know, sell to your internal stakeholders an idea or a concept that you want to bring to market through one of your suppliers. So it really does take a generalist approach in terms of the, the wide skills. If you're a chemical engineer by trade and you've done process engineering in a factory somewhere, you know, now you're able you know, to work in a commercial procurement area where you can see what the technical benefits are of working with a, with a supplier. You've got that expertise, but now you're also adding that value chain, you know, that commercial aspect of the job. You know, and then you're integrating, you know, you're integrating a new partner as part of your everyday team to be able to execute on a strategic vision for the business. I couldn't agree with you more, Anna. I've also seen some stories of, you know, uh, these procurement leaders where they have such a wide variety of skills, as you mentioned, that they built throughout their career. And eventually they become CEOs. Like one of them, a pretty famous executive here in Vancouver, he actually was the chief supply chain officer um, or the head of supply chain, I think, at Lululemon. And now he's the CEO of another e-commerce brand. So we've definitely seen a lot of amazing people where they pivoted away from, let's say, supply chain or procurement into, you know, managing the entire organization. Because as you mentioned, they're able to actually see all these opportunities when it comes to innovation and also partnering with suppliers that it just kind of makes sense. Absolutely. And and this is, this is why, uh, you know, that skill set becomes so important because they are touching so many areas of the business, right? And, and if you're in indirect procurement, Think of all that you're touching outside of the supply chain, right? Outside of manufacturing or outside of direct, you know, products and materials. You know, there are so many areas where we can leverage and create value through through the spend. I mean, think of the marketing uh, spend. You know, we're spending money on advertising and promotions and print marketing and advertising agencies and, you know, consulting services you know, the HR function when it comes to training and development and, 
you know, travel and, you know, corporate expenses, facilities management, you know, you look at cafeteria services and there are so many things where we can create partnerships to deliver value, right? And, and there are ways that you can partner to create innovative solutions for your employees in that particular case, or, you know, for your marketeers, right? So if you're, if you're partnering correctly, you know, think of the amount of value you can drive, okay? And, and at the same time, streamline the operation so that you are creating that scale, right? And then, and then you're picking the right solutions, you know, in terms of what are the broad-based services that I need to support? Um, so, you know, it's, it's gonna be an interesting phenomenon. Um, you know, direct materials is also an interesting area because, you know, it used to be about supplier consolidation and now it's looking to be a little bit more about supplier diversification so that we're securing supply. But, you know, to secure supply, you can still work with your strategic partners and really start thinking about how can you pivot quickly how do you create agility in the supply chain by enabling your suppliers to support you? And there are many financial, you know, instruments that you can use. You know, for example, if you've got 60 day terms with your supplier and suddenly you're facing a crisis um, and your supplier needs to secure their materials to, to make sure that they're giving you the right level of service for the contract. You, know, you can change your terms. You can say to them, I'm going to pay you within 10 days. So you are getting the cash that you need in order to be able to pull the trigger to support me. Or you, know, you can front them alone as an example. It's, it's real, And it's all based on how close is that relationship? How collaborative, open and transparent is that relationship? Right? You start thinking about the history of procurement. You know, we went from transactional purchasing then we went to supply management and now you know procurement probably needs to go through another rebranding exercise you know what are we really delivering because it really is about touching every part you know of the operation and and maybe we need a new name for it you know like we've said procurement is now what is the strategic arm of creating these open and collaborative partnerships. It's no longer this transactional tool, you know, that, you know, we just do, it's a support function. It's no longer a support function. It is a strategic function. I completely agree. And, you know, we talk a little bit more about the stories and the what, but maybe we can also go a little into the how. So for procurement leaders that are still kind of stuck in the more transactional way of thinking, how do you think they can really become innovative centers or innovative partners to their organization? What are some things that they need to consider? There are different ways. So, you know, you go from one extreme to the other. If you've got a transactional relationship, you're just buying stuff. You're issuing a PL. So, you know, for example, in, in my last role, I was in the beauty industry. And, you know, I was actually hired uh, to create a strategic procurement organization. And, you know, when I came in and I started looking at our spend, you know, it always starts with data, right? The first thing you need to do is figuring, you know, figure out where is my money being spent, right? And, uh, you know, I looked at the data, we were issuing, you know, 20,000 
purchase orders a year that were, you know, on average about $3,000 each. So, you know, very transactional, very laborious. Nobody was taking a look at the spend in a much more strategic fashion. So you look at, then you have to really start with slicing and dicing your data. Who are my suppliers? What is it that I buy? What are the specifications of the things that I buy? Who am I spending it with? You know, where are, you know, the suppliers located? And then you look for opportunities to start creating some leverage. You, you really need to do a, a bit of service to yourself by making sure you're creating that analysis and you're spending time to do the analysis. And this is where you really need to partner with um, some of the software suppliers that are, you know, offering, you know, the software, you know, such as your company or, you know, some of the others out there like VidOps and, and RSN, these people that have, you know, the, the software tools to be able to create, you know, visibility to where you spend your money and how you're spending your money. And then you look at the supply base, you look at your incumbents. And now you've got to start having conversations. It's almost like an interview process that you have to go through by understanding the capability. The first thing is, what do you need? Okay, what does the business need? What are the specifications? Making sure you've got the right specifications and, and working with your R&D teams, your marketing teams, your, your engineering teams to make sure that you're not over-engineered or over-spec'd, okay? If you need a spec that is about a bicycle to drive you around the corner, you know, you don't need to design something that's a rocket to launch to the moon. So make sure you've got the right spec that is fit for purpose and no more, because that's where a lot of the cost savings comes from. It's not about, you know, negotiating and beating up suppliers. It's about working with your suppliers to look at what is the specification and looking for ways to optimize and harmonize your specs, right? So how do you optimize? How do you harmonize? How do you redesign? How do you look at alternative materials that will create value through that cost base? You know, so this is how you lower costs, right? By looking at how you buy and what you buy. And then you look at how you deliver the demand signal to your suppliers. So when I joined this, this beauty company, uh, most of my suppliers, as I start to look, I mean, I looked at my top 10, 20 suppliers, you know, and I prioritized, you know, my, my meetings based on spend, right? And I would say to them, how do we work with you? What kind of headaches do we create for you? And they didn't believe me. They thought I was trying to get them in trouble. And I'm like, no, I'm totally serious. I'm sure we make your life a living hell. So tell me how that we, you know, how do is it that we do that? And they would say to me, like, their forecast from us was when they got the PL. So they really had no visibility into our strategy or into our forecast. So it started with how do you have just a little bit of forward thinking about how you deliver a demand signal to your supply base? Right, so I started with getting the team to think about, let's look at the next three months. What are we looking to have? Well, we don't know. The orders are going to change. The orders are going to come in differently. And I'm like, let's give them a range, right? So if you look at that tactical horizon of the next three months, 
It's really allowing the supplier now to plan the labor, right? And then once you can get that going, then it's really about how do you look at a 12-month horizon? How do you look at an 18-month horizon? How do you look at a three-year horizon? So now I'm able to manage my plans as your key supplier with your strategic vision, right? So most of us put strategy documents together and we look at a three-year strategic plan. Well, if, you know, if I'm, I'm in the skincare business and, you know, suddenly I'm realizing that, you know, naturals and therapeutics are the, you know, the, the wave of the future, or if I'm looking at, you know, sustainability and I want to take, you know, I want to take all kinds of nasty chemicals out of my formulations uh, and I want to take out plastic, you know, so that the environment is a happier place to be then what I'm doing is I need to share those conversations with my supplier so that they can start developing their next round of R&D, right? So if if I'm going to drive naturals, they need to look at plant-based ingredients. If I'm looking at driving, you know, sustainability and lower plastics, they need to come up with packaging that is more sustainable. You know, and by sharing the information you know, you are creating those partnerships. So what is the governance model, right? You need to look, it starts again with data and then you have to build slowly. You have to build those relationships. You have to make a decision about who's got the capability to partner with you on your strategic vision. And those are the suppliers you need to start developing, right? So it starts with, managing the tactics by understanding the data, by sharing, you know, very tactical planning information around demand, measuring. You can't improve anything unless you start measuring it, right? That's how you drive continuous improvement. What is their service to you? What is their quality to you? And then you start having these operational discussions around service and quality. Once you get that going and it's put to bed, and it's going really well, then you say, hey, you know, I'm looking to expand in Europe and I would love for you to partner with me and go to Europe with me, right? So now you get into, once you're building that relationship, that openness and transparency is there, you know, now you can start to have much more collaborative strategic discussions about doing that. And it starts with bottom up and top down, right? It's got to be you know, the governance of a top to top conversation, business senior leadership to business senior leadership, usually CEO, CFO with CEO, CFO at the customer and the supplier level. And then you work your way down, right? Then you've got like the next level creating a steering committee around that relationship. And then it's about the local to local relationships, right? So there's multiple levels of governance that have to take place. And it's it's something that evolves over time. You're not going to just wave a magic wand and create you know, strategic collaborative partnerships. It does take a lot of time and investment of resources, of money, of, of time between both the customer and the supplier to make it work. Wow. There was so much value in that, I guess, short few minutes that you've answered that question. And I think what I find really interesting too is that you really highlighted communication with the suppliers, making sure like you're outlining the goals and the vision of what you're hoping to create 
for the future of the company. I feel like sometimes um, even as like someone who understands procurement but doesn't do it as a function, when you're in negotiations, sometimes you tend to withhold information because you think, oh, that's going to help me with the negotiation. But really, from what I'm understanding that you're saying, it's not about like withholding the information, but it's about what is it that you want to share so that you can move forward together as a partnership. I feel like that's a really mind-blowing thing for me. Right, right. And you know what, Danny, there, there's always going to be the formal, you know, the formal negotiation where you're sitting on one side of the table and I'm sitting on the other. There's always going to be the good cop and the bad cop in the discussion. There are very classic ways and innovative ways to negotiate. Okay, but it's really about what is the win-win? What are, what are the non-negotiables for me as a customer or as a, you know, as a buyer? What are the non-negotiables for me? And then you as a supplier, what are the non-negotiables for you? And then if we can come up with common ground that, you know, is, is allowing us to say, all right, we're here. Right. So, I mean, I've sat in formal negotiations where I was like, you know, you guys are my strategic partner. This is what my business needs. Okay. And I basically share this is where we are. Okay. I need to deliver, you know, 10% cost savings because I've got a margin target that is non negotiable. I need 10%. Okay. And then, you know, that's, that's my stated goal. And then the supplier is going to share with me, yeah, I can't do that. Or yes, well, you know, how about we give you 5%? And that, you know, horse trading is going on and you look for ways to do it, right? So there's, it's not just about a price reduction. It's about, well, can you guarantee me this price? Or, you know, if you're a larger company and you're doing, if you're doing pricing um, or excuse me, if you're doing business in multiple locations, I can say, you know, the competitive environment I'm facing in North America or the United States is such that I can't, I need you to give me 10%. But guess what? You know, in India, uh, you know, where you're doing business with me, I can afford to pay a little bit more, right? So it becomes that give and take to meet business objectives, right? And I've, I've actually negotiated deals where I have paid more in one part of the world in order to protect another part of the world if I've got a global relationship. Okay, so I mean, there's different levels. It's not all about global buying because many of us have small businesses or we've got, you know, small operations that are very local or or maybe even regional. But it's understanding where the give and take is, right? And, And having that open and trusting conversation and coming to a consensus to be able to do business. It may be that, you know, I give you I give you the price concession now, but, you know, let's sign a three year agreement. And if you give me stable volume over three years instead of a one year contract, I will be able to give you that 10 percent. So those are the kinds of conversations that need to take place in in order to drive these things. But again, what is the what is the, the core of this discussion based on? It's all about relationship building and collaboration, openness and transparency. You know, it's become a given. That's how we have to do business. I love that. And I think there are so many good learnings just from the stories that you tell, too, because we get to see how other companies have, you know, navigated these situations and also from you, too, which is why I love 
doing this podcast. I get to hear firsthand from the people that experienced them. That's great. I, I'm glad to be here with you. Yeah. So I know we talked about procurement and technology a little bit earlier, where you mentioned, you know, it's important to also partner with software providers and making sure you're being efficient with how you're getting the data, as you mentioned, visibility into spend, for example. So how do you think procurement can really leverage technology to become more effective and efficient? And where do you see procurement kind of waste a lot of time in? Yeah. So Danny, it is absolutely crucial. If, if you're not investing in data and analytics, you're wasting your time. I mean, it, it is it is absolutely critical that you start with having an absolute clean understanding of you know what it is that you're buying, and the only way you're going to do that is by having enabling technology. So whether it is you know being able to do massive amounts of analysis, right? Whether it's using you know things like Tableau or Power BI or, you know, any, any of these things. But really what we need to get at is what is the single source of the truth? You know, where is the single source of the truth that's going to be able to connect, you know, my demand to my supply, right? And, and how, do I, how do I connect things so that I know, you know, the power of information and the power of quick insight? And that's what it's really coming down to is, is really having all of my supply base in some kind of a data warehouse, um, all of my specifications that are tied, you know, making sure my data is clean, right? Making sure that my taxonomy is correct. It really does start with having the right data master having the right supply and vendor master. I don't want to name certain companies, but there are so many fantastic companies out there these days that have the power and the technology to be able to provide this data at, at your fingertips. You can get into license agreements. It's all cloud-based, you know, again, you know, plugging your company and being able to, to manage, you know, the information flow to be able to provide insights to the suppliers and invite the right suppliers in. And then, you know, I mean, just being able to do RFPs, RFQs, RFIs online, to be able to look at a catalog of suppliers online at your fingertips, to be able to structure, you know, e-auctions or e-bidding, you know, and, and create those personas for your supply base that's going to be able to help you do the analysis in terms of the value drivers, right? So you need to start looking at the buckets of the spend. So if you're buying, you know, pens, you know, from Staples or, you know, WB Mason, just something like that. If, you know, it's not about the pen and what does Staples charge versus WB Mason. It's really what are the value drivers of that pen purchase? Right. It's about being able to break it down into into the buckets, you know, that make up that price point. Right. And it's it's almost like you need to dissect the specification to understand what is driving your cost. OK, so, I mean, I've done so many value value chain analyses where, you know, somebody is uh, you know, telling me, Anna, you need to reduce the cost of packaging, you know, marketing. 
you know, I need you to get me, you know, cheaper bottles. And I'm just like, well, it's not about just cheaper bottles. It's about the total cost of ownership. So let's take a look at the full product composition, right? So, you, you know, you've got the product and the package, and now let's look at it, right? And then it's like, oh, you know, I can't spend that kind of money on my perfume uh, because, you know, this price for perfume is way, way more expensive than what I'm paying today. But I'm like, well, okay, if you've got a clean formula, right? If you've got an additive that allows you to change, like, you know, so to get into a specific story, you can look at surfactants, for example, that have a malodorous, uh, you know, composition, but then suddenly you'll get a plant-based, you know, like an algal-based oil, as an example, which is really, really clean. Okay. And if you use that, you suddenly have a base formulation that is malodorous, Right. And then suddenly, you know, I don't need, need to use as much perfume and suddenly, you know, paying a higher cost per pound or per kilo is irrelevant because I'm using a lot less of it. Right. So suddenly my total cost of the formula just went down. And maybe that's what I should have been looking at as opposed to trying to reduce a bottle cost that's already paper thin. Do you see what I mean? That's what I'm talking about, the whole value engineering and looking at the total cost of, of the supply to understand where you need to drive value and which supplier you pull the trigger with. So that's why data is so critically important. And then, you know, these, these software companies that allow you to analyze massive amounts of data very, very quickly. And then you can also put the various components of a cost of goods item Right. So think about what makes up the cost of goods or whether you look at, you know, the cost to convert materials. You know, what's your labor pool? What's, what are your fixed costs? What are your logistics costs that you need to look at? And these are all part of how procurement needs to analyze the spend and help and use the supply base to help deliver higher value, either through cost savings and cost has different components. It's either a direct negotiated cost, which is basically price on price, or through re-engineering the way I buy or the how I buy, how I give my demand signal, how I measure waste, you know, how I measure quality, etc. These are some really great examples that I feel like people can really take and into their own organizations as well. You know, I think it's about asking the right questions, and making sure you're considering the entire picture rather than maybe just seeing one. And I think you also mentioned a really good point where you have to have the data available to do that. Um, with a lot of our customers, I feel like they kind of get stuck in the first half where they're still trying to figure out, oh, where is it that we're actually spending money on? And from that, you know, what are the main categories and how do we, you know, leverage these categories, which is why they end up coming to us, right? They needed a solution for that. But I definitely agree with you. Once you figure out the data, then you can start using that data to then become more strategic in your initiatives. You know, we talked a lot about procurement uh, organizations that are quite large and also within your own career, you've worked with a lot of like multinationals as well. But for organizations like startups that may not have a procurement department, how do you think they can start building a procurement strategy that scales along with their organization? Right. So, you know, when you're in a small startup, 
the people that are running the organization have to wear multiple hats, right? And, you know, there's always opportunities, you know, to be the chief cook and bottle washer when you're in a startup. So the first thing, you know, to look at is, you know, somebody's got to run the operation, right? So, you know, even if it's the CEO doing multiple things or, or leveraging partnerships, you know, or hiring consultants, the most important thing, again, is, you know, understanding what it is that you spend your money on and really being able to leverage, you know, some, some scale. And what I would suggest for smaller organizations is to investigate using, you know, GPOs. So there is quite a bit out there. There are lots and lots of good GPOs out there, you know, procurement advisors, core trust that, that really specialize in categories of spend where you become part of a co-op uh, or a membership. And whether you spend $10,000, $10 million, or $100 million, you've got the same benefits of membership. Now, it doesn't cost the customer anything, right? Because the way it happens is these GPOs will pool the spend together, right? And they then buy on behalf of their membership and they negotiate better terms with suppliers. So take Granger or, you know, McMaster Car or some of these, you know, or, or Canon or W.E. Mason. They consolidate the spend, okay? They drive savings for the membership. So let's say they negotiate a 20% savings. Um, they pass along 15% of that savings and they keep 5% for themselves. So they're not charging you to become a member, but they're keeping some of the savings. Okay. Now what you do is, you know, you have to revisit that relationship often to make sure that you're getting, you know, the right buy because you're still executing the purchasing. You're still executing the transaction. They just negotiated up front and you need to make sure you stay on your toes so that they are understanding what your volume requirements are and, and you know they you know they have the ability to analyze your spend um, so that they're delivering year-on-year savings for you. But that's one way for smaller companies to do it because it's really about leveraging your spend and pooling your resources together, right? And and there are ways to do it. There's also a lot of you know independent consultants uh, that I'll be happy to put you in touch with or your listeners in touch with, you know, that I can recommend who are professional buyers and, uh, you know, and they negotiate on behalf of their clients by, you know, leveraging their connections to move forward. But that's, you know, those are some of the strategies that I would use. And again, it's about building scale, right? So you start with, you know, with understanding where you are today and then where are you needing to get to and making sure that there's this constant analysis of your specifications, your your supplier base, understanding where you're spending your money so that you can create those efficiencies going forward. These are some really great tips, Anna, and I'll make sure to include them within the blog post as well. So for the listeners out there with this episode, there's going to be also a blog post that will come out maybe one to two weeks after. So look out for that. And I'll make sure to include Anna's links and recommendations there as well. So Anna, we are nearing the end of the podcast. I don't want to keep you here for too long. So maybe we'll end it off with something a little bit more personal. So what has been your greatest failure and what did you learn as well as what do you think has been your greatest success? Yeah, you know, 
my greatest failure was when I first got into procurement and I didn't know anything about procurement. It was, it was at a time in my career where we were moving from that purchasing mindset to more of a supplier, supply management mindset. Um, and, you know, I had this arrogant attitude that I am the supply, I am the customer and you are the supplier and you will kowtow to me. It's like what I want goes. And um, it was a real humbling experience because, you know, I realized that, you know, your suppliers have such a key hand in your success. And if you don't treat them with the same respect that you would treat anybody else in your organization, your, your senior leadership, you got you to gotta give them the same respect and the, the same courtesy that you would give your own leadership because really they have the ability, they hold in their hand the ability for you to succeed, not only individually, but as an organization. They hold a key to your success. And it didn't take long for me to realize that I had to change my attitude. You certainly get more by being sweet than you do being bitter. So that's probably my greatest learning from, uh, you know, just a failed attitude. And, and honestly, my greatest success, I can probably pinpoint about half a dozen success stories, you know, that are absolutely connected to me partnering with a supplier, you know, and the greatest example that I can share with you is, is an example where while I was working for Unilever a long time ago, we changed the entire laundry industry by moving to concentrated liquid. And we were able to pull that off because of this partnership that we created with um, one of our key packaging suppliers we were able to raise the margin of laundry detergent by about a thousand basis points. And it enabled Unilever to sell that business. And it was directly through partnering with, with key suppliers that that was able to happen. That's probably one of my greatest joys and one of the best stories uh, that I can always recall in terms of how, you know, this successful partnering with suppliers can enable you know, just tremendous value, a thousand basis points. And it was, you know, in the first year, it was a hundred million in revenue for the company. There's your top line motivation to work with suppliers. That's amazing. And congratulations, Anna, on that and many other accomplishments. I think what's really interesting too, is that, you know, when you mentioned your greatest failure, I feel like the learning is what brought you into your greatest successes as well. You mentioned you had to change your attitude towards the supplier relationship. And that's what you did. And that's how you got, you know, your various successes that you mentioned as well. I love that. And, you know, I think I've gotten so much value from this conversation today. I'm sure the audience will as well. So how do you think um, the audience can connect with you? Do you have other social media channels that you wanted me to highlight besides LinkedIn, Clubhouse, and email? Yeah, absolutely. I'm also on Instagram. I'm also on Twitter. So I, I am, um, reachable by a variety of ways. And uh, LinkedIn is probably the best way as well as Clubhouse if you're on Clubhouse. Awesome. And I'll make sure to include all of Anna's links um, in the description box below so you guys can feel free to reach out to her. She's lovely. If you want to have any questions or any you know conversations with her, feel free to do so. 
Thank you again, Anna, for being on the show today. It's been my pleasure, Danny. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of today. If you like this podcast, please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss another great guest. We'd also appreciate it if you give us a five-star review on iTunes for the Apple listeners out there. This podcast is sponsored by Procurify, a spend management solution that is making managing business spend simple. I know there's still a lot of you that are using spreadsheets, credit cards, and expense forms, or a mix of the above. Perhaps you're still using a procurement module in your ERP that is clunky and outdated. Procurify helps you implement proactive controls so that purchases are tracked and approved by the right person before it hits accounts payable. Never have to worry about a surprise invoice ever again. There's a reason why over 400 customers around the world love us. Our award-winning, easy-to-use system is loved by people everywhere. It's actually a purchasing system that your employees will actually want to use, believe it or not. Check us out at Procurify.com, so that's www.procurify.com, and mention the podcast for a sweet listener special on our packages.